1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews.
0: Real love is calling, listen, up your eyes. Mercy is with
2: every sunrise. They're just weighing you down. And maybe you need to find new friends. Maybe. Maybe one of those friends has actually become somebody that you're involved with romantically now. And, and maybe they don't share the same values you do. They don't have Christ as their Savior. And so perhaps that relationship is weighing you down. Maybe you are working too long and too hard trying to make a living that everything else about God has been squeezed out of your life.
1: Do you struggle to find time to spend with God every day? Is He more distant than you imagined He could be, or not active in your life? Pastor Gary is going to show you today that all you need to do to see God using you again is to simply be willing for Him to, and to be obedient when He calls you. Even when sin is all around you, especially in modern times, you should be the example that's living how they should, and that's Obedient to go wherever God says when He wants to use you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be starting into chapter 12 tonight. We spent five weeks in chapter 11, so... It's about time we move on to chapter 12, I suppose. We have Bibles for you if you need one. If there's an usher nearby you with a Bible, just raise a hand if you'd like to receive a Bible so that you can follow along in our study tonight. And again, we're going to be Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is affectionately referred to as the Hebrew Hall of Faith, because the writer of Hebrews lists 17 people by name and others not named who are honorably mentioned as being men and women of faith, people who exercised trust in God during difficult situations in their own lives. And what we find is that the writer of Hebrews is going to continue the thought from chapter 11 to 12 by telling us that now that we've read all these wonderful examples, and that's the reason we took five weeks getting through chapter 11, because we looked name by name at all 17. Since you have all these wonderful examples who have gone before you, these men and women who have exercised tremendous faith, trust in God during difficult and adverse situations, therefore, he's going to say to us, let this encourage us to run the race, the Christian race, with perseverance. And so let me back up at the end of chapter 11 and pick it up with me, and it's actually the middle of, a verse sent of a, a middle of a sentence in verse 33, after he names all these different men and women who are good examples of faith. He says in verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed into, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Okay, remember, we talked about it last week. The ultimate promise is the fulfillment of Christ. All of these people referred to here in chapter 11 are Old Testament saints, so they were only looking forward to the promised Messiah, but even though they didn't have the revelation of Christ, because Christ wouldn't come until 33 AD dying across, 32-33 AD, they still by faith trusted in the Messiah that they had not yet seen, that they believed in, that they knew and understood from what scriptures taught. And so it says there that they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so he ends chapter 11 by basically saying to us, since these men and women exercise such great faith, even though they had not yet seen Messiah, here we are now in this day, and even the writer of Hebrews, this is post the crucifixion of Christ, we have now the, the revelation of Christ. He's died on a cross for our sins. How much more should we be men and women of faith? If those people could be men and women of faith, and they hadn't even seen Christ, how much more should we be men and women of faith now that Christ has actually come and died on a cross for our sins? And so that's the whole train of thought where he's going. Now notice in chapter 12, verse 1, that's why he connects the thoughts by using the word, therefore, therefore, and let me read to verse 3, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So your attention for a moment. As we head into chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Christianity is like running a race. And by the way, it's not a 50-yard dash. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And this is why he says, I don't want you to lose heart. Because, you know, when you're running a marathon, I've never run a marathon, but for people who have run a marathon for people who are into that kind of thing, all right, and you do that, and God bless you if you do that. You're amazing. You can get weary running a marathon. I mean, you can get tired. And, and so he's saying here, in this sense, as you run the race, don't grow weary, persevere, consider all these wonderful examples that have gone before us to encourage us, and he's going to obviously point out Jesus as the ultimate example. So Christianity is like running a race. It's like a marathon. And what he's going to say to us in these first three verses is that running the race, and what he wants us to do in running the race is to run as free as you can, to run as focused as you can, and to run as faithfully as you can. When we run the race for Christ, it means that we're in for the long run. This is a battle of endurance. This is a battle of perseverance. And so what he tells us here is these three things. We're going to look at one at a time. First, run as free as you can. And by that, what I'm talking about is when he mentions here, let us throw off, look again at verse one, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So the first thing he talks about is let's throw off everything that hinders. If you have a New King James or a King James or ESV, it says, let us lay aside every weight. The word hinders in the NIV can be translated as load or weight. So the first thing he says to us is we have to throw off those things that weigh us down, those things that encumber us in this race. I remember several years ago, I was flying somewhere and watching, um, you know, movies, how they have movies on long flights. And it was, and I can't honestly remember if it was a movie about, it was a horse movie. It was a horse race movie. I don't remember if it was Secretariat or if it was Seabiscuit, but it was one of those movies. What I do remember from the movie was that they had these handicaps that they imposed on the horses who raced too swiftly to try to level the playing field. And so they would add weight to the saddle of the good horses. And the weights were called imposts and they were assigned by the racing secretary. So there was an official who came along and in order to try to level the playing field of all the horses in the race, the ones based on previous performance who had run so well, who had raced so swiftly, they weighed them down with weights. This is horse socialism. That's what this is. I mean, I can just hear Bernie Sanders now talking about this. A horse needs to be leveled with weights to weigh him down. You can't have an advantage. Everybody has to be the same. Anyway, I go on, but that's the idea between weighing them down. Why don't you just let the good horses run freely? And let the other horses just lag behind. But why don't you let them? The reason is because there's betting in the games of horse racing. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying. And so we have to try to level the playing field because we're going to bet on the horses to try to figure out who's going to win. And we have to try to make them as even as possible. In addition, just talking about horse racing, not that I'm a big fan of horse racing, but in order to really be as swift as you can, You have to unload as much weight as possible. So the jockeys would often throw up before games. In fact, up until 12 years ago, at the Kentucky Derby, there was a thing in the jockey changing room called heaving bowls. For 130 years, the heaving bowls were there. Only in the last like 12 years or so have they been removed. Now they just use the toilets. But that's what they would do. Because they wanted to try to do everything they could to lighten the load, lighten the load, lighten the load, so that they could be as swift as possible. So when it comes to the weights that we carry in our lives as we're running this race, this is not something that is sinful, because he's going to make that as the second mention here. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. But he's challenging us in the race to look at things that weigh us down. What are some things in the race that weigh you down, some things in your life that maybe you need to deal with, again, that aren't necessarily sin issues, but just things that encumber the race. For example, maybe there's some friends you hang with, and they're just weighing you down. And maybe you need to find new friends, Maybe, maybe one of those friends has actually become somebody that you're involved with romantically now, and, and maybe they don't share the same values you do. They don't have Christ as their Savior, and so perhaps that relationship is weighing you down. Maybe you are working too long and too hard trying to make a living that everything else about God has been squeezed out of your life, and maybe that's a weight. Maybe financial debt has become a weight. Maybe you would love to be more generous. You know, I've known some people who have said to me, you know, I really feel like God makes, wants me to be a missionary and to just, you know, quit my job and, to, you know, go out on the mission field. Well, then why don't you do that? Well, I, I got too much debt, so I have to keep working to pay off all my debt, like my credit card debt and all these loans I got, and so I can't, I can't ever stop working and go on the mission. Maybe debt is a weight that you need to get rid of so you can really be generous or serve the Lord in a way that you would be unencumbered. In other words, there are some things in our lives that are not necessarily sin issues, but are things that are weighing us down. The writer of Hebrews says here, I want you to throw off everything that hinders. Get rid of those weights that are tying us down. And he adds, notice also in verse verse 1, and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, it's interesting that in the original Greek language, the article the is not in there. So, it just simply reads, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Sometimes people read that, and because there's the direct article the in English, people want to know, what is the sin? What is the number? What is the sin that entangles us? It isn't a particular sin. It's whatever sin has weighed you down and hindered you from running the race. So he says, let's throw off everything that hinders, all these weights, all these things, and sin that so easily entangles. Is there one thing in your life that you would say, if I could just have victory over this one sin, man, I could really, really grow with God. For you then, that is the sin that so easily entangles. I'm sure there's similarities if we all shared what our main struggles were, but the fact is that it isn't a particular sin, it's whatever particular sin might be in your life that seems to be the stronghold. Our flesh always wants to dominate us. Our flesh always wants to dominate us. Our flesh is insatiable, and our flesh is always wanting to rule. And so as Christians, what we have to do is die daily to self and crucify the flesh and continue to pray that God's power and his presence will be greater than any sin struggle of our flesh. You know, God, when he called out Cain, when he said to Cain, he said in Genesis 4-7, that sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. The warning from the very beginning of time is that humanity is fallen. And that sin wants to constantly rule our lives and dominate us. And God said to Cain, it desires to have you, but you must master it. God wants us to run this race as free as we can, without weight, without sin. First Corinthians 6.12, Paul said, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. He said, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Let this be our prayer from Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my footsteps according to your word, and let no sin rule over me. God wants us to want run freely. Throw off everything that hinders, and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Then in verse 2 brings us to the second thing that the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. We need to run as focused as we can. That's why in verse 2 he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Some of your translations say finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So he calls our attention to Christ as this perfect example. Let us fix our eyes. The Greek word there is aphormeo, which means to look away from one thing and look towards another. So your attention is not divided, but it is singular, and our focus is on Jesus. It is very easy to lose sight of Christ in running this race because we're distracted by everything else? How many car accidents happen because people are distracted? Well, actually, I'll tell you. (laughs) The National Safety Council estimates that at least 28% of all traffic crashes or or at least 1.6 million crashes every year are caused by drivers using cell phones and texting. 1.6 million crashes every year. When you factor in additional things, like stuff that you do, eating while you're driving, eating a bowl of cereal. You ever try to eat a bowl of cereal and steer with your knee while you're eating a bowl of cereal? (laughs) Ask Pastor Andy. But anyway, (laughs) or the cop who told him he shouldn't be doing that. Um, But that's another story. But anyway, shaving. Have you seen guys shaving while they're driving? Ladies, you put on mascara and makeup while you're driving, stop that. Better to look unshaven and not made up than dead on the side of the road because you've had a collision because you weren't paying attention. Four out of every five accidents, 80% are attributed to distracted drivers. So when we run the race, we're to keep our focus on Jesus and not to be distracted, not to be distracted by all this other stuff. And it's easy to get distracted. You know, I think about how in Matthew chapter 14, there's that encounter when Jesus was walking on water. And it tells us that Peter asked Jesus as he saw him. They're all like amazed, like, whoa, check this out. Jesus is walking on water. Whoa. And so, and, but, and they're all like, wow, this is incredible. And Peter's the only one who said, Lord, call me to come to you. I'm going to try that. And Jesus is like, well, get out of the boat and come to me. And so Peter starts walking on water. Now, a lot of people shame Peter. And they say, you know, look at this dude, you know, he sank. Yeah, but the Bible says in Matthew chapter 14, it's like verses 28 and 29, that it says that he actually did walk on water. He actually did. He did something that the other guys weren't willing to do. But in Matthew 14 verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, which is interesting because you can't really see wind, but it's just when he saw the wind, he began to sank and he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. All right? But the idea is, as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was walking on water. He was doing fine. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the wind, looked at the things that were coming against him, that's when he began to sink. I commend the guy that he was even able to get out of the boat and do something risky like that. Uh, but the fact is that when he stopped looking, looking at Jesus, that's when he got distracted, and that's when, that's when he sank. It's important for us to stay focused on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. So he's the author of our faith. He is the one who has written the story of salvation. And he is the finisher of our faith. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1:6, and He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will help us to finish. The one who got us saved will help us to finish the race so that we might enjoy the fullness of our salvation, because he is the author and finisher of our faith. But the exhortation here is, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. May he never be out of our focus. All right, now, between these two points of the writer of Hebrews saying, I want you to run freely, I want you to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, And then this part here about fixing your eyes on Jesus, in between those two things is this idea of perseverance, and so that's where we get point number three, that we're also to run as faithfully as we can, because there at the end of verse one, he says, and let us run with perseverance, some of your translations say endurance, the race marked out for us, nestled right in between here, throwing off everything that hinders and fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're told to run with perseverance, or to run with endurance. There is this exhortation here about not giving up. If you've ever run track, you know how it is when you start to get that runner's cramp in the side and you have to keep pushing through and you have to keep running the race with perseverance. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. So there's a lot of imagery in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, about the Christian life and running the race and, you know, just finishing well and and um, forgetting what is behind, you know, and fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we run for a greater crown, not for a laurel wreath that will fade away, but we run for the ultimate prize of our salvation. So there's a lot of imagery and symbolism in the New Testament about running a race. But what happens here is at this point in chapter 12, he shifts, and and he basically says to us, in the event you don't run, as free or as focused or as faithfully as you should, God has a way of disciplining us to get us back on the track. And from verses 4 down through verse 13, the writer of Hebrews is going to use the word discipline 10 times in 9 verses. 10 times. So I'm going to read verse 4 down through verse 13. You can underline them as we, as we read through the verses if you'd like. So verse 4, "...in your struggle against sin..." You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, some of your translations say he chastises or he scourges everyone he accepts as a son. He spanks. That's the idea.
1: the corner, your connection towards your new life. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law, and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know you can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. But still you know. You're not alone.